Hello and welcome to The Pulse. In this week's show, what do the Hong Kong and mainland toilet wars tell us about cultural differences between local citizens and mainland visitors? We also look at a fascinating archive of historical documents recently donated to the University of Hong Kong. First, though, Hong Kong's political uncertainties, fears of assimilation into the mainland and annoyance about how things are going on many levels have led some Hong Kong residents to consider upping sticks and moving elsewhere. Although this is seldom discussed in public, it turns out that Taiwan is the destination of choice for a number of Hong Kongers. They may all have different reasons. But whatever the reasons, there's a surge of Hong Kong people considering moving to Taiwan. Taiwan 但我覺得台灣的公民譬如之前在西洋菜街街頭表演之前就放寬大家在那裡有人做生意有人做表演其實我覺得這個地方是一個突然間有些香港的特色的東西 三四年前,我們就開始計劃去台灣 無論吃東西或者生活、語言,大家都可以融入溝通到 大家越來越重視很多,譬如說獨立的文化,很多大家看到很多咖啡店啊,民宿啊,更重要是我覺得是很多價值觀的改變,就台灣可能自己不像過去七八十年代只追求經濟發展,那年輕人呢,或是更多
Almost a hundred would-be emigrants were drawn to this forum on consideration for immigrating to Taiwan. Speakers Vincent Wong and Yan Wong, both of whom long since emigrated there, shared their experiences with the audience. Towards the end of last year, news media reported that more and more Hong Kongers are deciding to make the move to Taiwan. The Hong Kong government was quick to offer a denial, saying that information published by the Immigration Authority in Taiwan showed that the number of approved applications for permanent residents by Hong Kong and Macau residents had decreased 14% from the same period in 2012. However, it did point out that the above should be distinguished from applications for residents, which include entry applications for work or study, not for permanent residents. However, the National Immigration Agency of the Ministry of the Interior of the Republic of China, Taiwan, says that from 2012 to 2013, the number of approved applications for permanent residency for Hong Kong and Macau residents did decrease, but that the number of approved applications for residents had risen by 45%. The contradiction isn't surprising. Hong Kongers have to apply for residency and stay in Taiwan for a period of time before they can apply for permanent status. There are several ways for Hong Kongers to immigrate to Taiwan. However, on the 14th of March this year, Taiwan announced an amendment of the rules governing permits for people from Hong Kong and Macau setting up residence or permanent residence in Taiwan. Hong Kong residents have to invest 6 million new Taiwan dollars, which is around 1.54 million Hong Kong dollars. Previously, they could invest just 5 million new Taiwan dollars. 
The rule that Hong Kong residents should have five million New Taiwan dollars or more in a Taiwanese bank account for more than a year has been cancelled. Rules on residency for relatives will also be tightened. Hong Kong people can no longer apply for Taiwan residency on the grounds that their brothers or sisters or spouses' parents have Taiwan residency. They can still apply only if they have close blood relatives like children, parents, and spouses with Taiwan residency status. For Hong Kong people, I recommend them not to be too close. It's like a wave. Taiwan is a very good place and has a big space. Taiwan's people are very good. They have a good taste. I recommend them not to be too close. Because Taiwan and Hong Kong are very open. If Hong Kong people go to Taiwan, they can have three years of residency. You can go to three years. If you don't have enough, I don't understand Taiwan. You can go to Taiwan for three years. You have a half year of time to go to Taiwan. Then you decide if you really like this place. Because you can imagine it's very romantic, but the environment is really like that. I think you should first experience it. Then you decide if you decide to leave Hong Kong, or if you are in Taiwan, 长居咧，会唔会好一啲？我倒是想说，如果台湾有一些不错的地方，有一些新的价值，是香港朋友喜欢的、珍惜的，那其实我觉得另外一个选择就是也留下来为香港奋斗，替香港争取这些新的价值，包括政治民主，包括生活上有更多元的可能。不然，如果大家都走的话，那么谁来留下改变香港这个岛屿呢 ？We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. Over the past few weeks, the simmering resentment over the behaviour of some mainland tourists and their children has risen to a new level of hostility. Meanwhile, mainland media and websites have been arguing that it's Hong Kongers who are in the wrong for being so offended. But look at some of the videos on the internet and it's clear that people in some of the mainland's own cities are just as offended by inappropriate behaviour. Well, with us in the studio is sociologist Cheris Chan from the University of Hong Kong. Can I ask you, first of all, I mean, it seems that this clash must have come from somewhere. It didn't come out of the blue. I mean, what mm. do you think are the fundamental reasons why we have the situation we now have? Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, actually, this kind of uh, cultural clash um, or clash between like, new immigrants or tourists versus the local residents are not just like not very peculiar to Hong Kong. I mean, we see this in other countries as well. If there is a sudden influx of people who were considered as outsider from the local perspectives, uh, very often they may engage in some sort of conflict um, and what we call, you know, people 
coming from different places might have different habits in terms of their, what we call the habitus. Um, so in this case, um, people might not be that understanding each other. Okay, that's, so that's not just in particular to Hong Kong. But in Hong Kong, I think what is, um, what is different in, in the recent, um, you know, in these two years, is that we see a really large number of tourists from mainland. Um, and we see the shops change, you know, to, um, to selling daily necessities to all these uh, luxuries, goods. Um, and Hong Kong people in general, um, I think they feel being marginalized in the society. And so that create a kind of, um, you would say that, you know, um, some sort of hatred for the newcomers that, um, that they think affects their, their daily life. I wonder if, if part of this might also be that, um, you know, there's an uncomfortableness about this mm -hmm. because some of this behaviour, you know, things like spitting in the streets, not forming queues at bus stops, uh, that was actually quite common in Hong Kong mm -hmm. just a few decades ago. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yes, yeah. Um, but then in these few decades, uh, Hong Kong kind of established a... Um, a unique culture that we were pretty that Hong Kong people were well known for observing rules if compared to um, other Chinese societies like you know Taiwan or uh, mainland uh, now that is not necessarily like a, a positive connotation or negative but I'm saying that Hong Kong people used to follow rules and some people may see as well as too bureaucratic or not flexible but it's a kind of habit that Hong Kong people establish or the way of life. And so they feel very uncomfortable or uneasy when they see something that is too different from them. Um, and so, um, yeah, so I think that's kind of understandable. And there's another level to this, isn't there, which is about fear of losing the culture, losing the identity. Mm -hmm. Is that working its way into this? Mm. Yeah, I think Hong Kong people um, always have their own identities. It's not something new. Like since the 60s and 70s, Hong Kong people have their own identities, distinguish themselves from the mainland. Um, now, with this China's economic reform and the development of economy with more people, like having trade with Hong Kong people, uh, we have more in contact with the mainland. So theoretically, um, Hong Kong people's identity should be kind of fading out, doing more integrate with the mainland. Uh, but it seems like we don't see this happening. Um, and part of it is that, um, well, in Hong Kong, we have many different social structures. You know, you may see that, well, some social classes, they may be better integrated into the mainland. But there are some other social classes that they really want to draw more distinction. Um, from the mainland. And so, um, yeah, so I think that that's something um, going on here. And very, very briefly, I mean, the mainland criticism or mainland media criticism of Hong Kong people is they say, oh, Hong Kong people have a superiority complex. Is that reasonable? Well, I think this sense of superiority um, of Hong Kong people took place not in the recent decades. But I guess, um, you know, when Hong Kong was the much more economically advanced in the 80s and 90s, uh, Hong Kong people always have that superior um, feeling towards uh, mainland. But, um, but this kind of superiority, I think they kind of a bit um, 
declining. And at the same time, you, people have some, need some time to adjust to this sense that, well, actually the mainland have more economic wealth to consume. Um, and Hong Kong people, even though they see all these luxury goods, they have no economic capital to do so. So, um, so I think it's in the place that a transition takes a lot of difficulties to, to get at that point. Well, Chairs Chan, thank you very much indeed. My pleasure. Finally this week, Deacon's Law Firm has donated a treasure trove of archival material to the University of Hong Kong. Much of it dates back to Hong Kong's old opium dealing days and is likely to prove invaluable for future writers, writers I should say, and historians. Deacon's Archives is from the firm, law firm Deacon's. Uh, it's a very famous and long-established law firm in Hong Kong. Um, now the Deacon's Archives collection is uh, permanently deposited at, at uh, the University of Hong Kong libraries. Um, the Deacon's Archives consists of um, over, over uh, 8,000 pieces of documents. Um, it has been organized in, into 65 series. The core part of the um, uh, collection uh, ranges from um, 1880s uh, all the way to 19, about 1950s. This sort of legal documents, I mean the collection, um, could be the first time, uh, could be the first big, biggest collection we have. It's very colorful. Actually, it's uh, like um, a debenture, a debenture in the Chinese government um, in the early um, 1900s. Um, this is funny uh, because for this uh, um, debenture, um, they offered a lottery. You know, to you have to take the draws three times. If you if you win one of the draws, then you will have a, a, like a bonus. But uh, at the end of the three draws, if you got nothing, um, it, um, then you will be returned with the um, principal amount of money guaranteed by the Chinese government. This is a promissory note. Uh, is uh, originally written in Chinese. Um, uh, the funny thing is um, uh, the the borrower, you know, uh, he would rather, um, I mean, just in case he couldn't, you know, repay the money, he would um, offer the fixtures and furnitures of his brothel uh, in um, Queen's Row West right now uh, as a pledge, you know, as a security uh, to repay the loan. I do believe the um, original uh, version is, was in Chinese, um, but somehow uh, it got to go through the, uh, the lawyers and then it was translated into an English version. This handsome guy, he was a Ukrainian. He, was, uh, he lived in Hong Kong. Um, this, the naturalization took place um, in 1936. Um, he was actually a police. This is funny because um, I, I would never thought a Ukrainian would be uh, a Hong Kong police. Uh, to me, it's quite rare. Everybody is quite interested about the opium documents. Uh, here's one thing. Um, this is actually an opium uh, contract, you know, to sell opium. Um, this company, Abdullahi, um, to sell opium to a Chinese firm, I think, Sung Junho. It was really legal. Um, not until 1945, 
September. From that point, that will be illegal. Way before that, uh, 1945, it's all legal. This is sort of a, a, a registration about um, the house uh, during the Japanese government. Um, it, it happened um, in 1943. This is one of the, you know, the application form to register um, the house that, I, that they were owning at that time uh, with details. I went back to my own collection, Hong Kong collection, to find out um, the official document that was issued by the uh, Japanese military government. You may think of it like a, um, a Hong Kong government gazette. Well, so much for history and so much from us for this week. We'll leave you with a look at this year's May Day Parade and see you at the same time next week. Until then, goodbye.